tonight, especially if you are free. Let's turn to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8, and if you notice the title of my message, Brother Kenny and I did not, uh, what's the word you and Brother Chris use? Collaborate. Uh, Brother Kenny actually had no idea what the message was going to be on Sunday night. I had no idea what song they were going to be singing, and uh, of course, uh, he earlier he had the song about the adoption, being a part of the adopted family of God. And so tonight, I've entitled Romans chapter number 8, uh, Praise God, I Am Free. And again, I think you'll see that as we get into this. Now, how many of you enjoy taking uh, medication pills? Anybody enjoy taking pills? If you are, you're sick, all right? How many of you, like me, have ever had a doctor prescribe a pill for you to take that you thought to yourself when you looked at it, a horse could not even swallow that pill. Anybody ever had one of those? I mean, those, you're like, are you kidding me? That, that is the biggest pill and you want me to swallow that thing? And most of the times the doctors tell you don't cut them in half and all this and that, you know. And, and, and when I thought of that and I got into this study, because, you know, the last couple Sunday nights, We've, uh, and, and again, look, I hope you understand my heart. My heart is I want to teach so much when it comes to the Word of God, but the reality is, is I could spend an entire year in Romans chapter number 8. I literally could spend a year and still not scratch the surface. And the last two Sunday nights, I, I've been just been trying to follow the Lord's leading. I hope you realize that that my desire is just to familiarize you with this book, these verses, these chapters, but that it would cause you to then take your Bible and, and maybe some notes and things that you have and go home and dig deeper yourself. Because listen, there is no way that I could, could cover everything. And can I tell you, when I approached the study for tonight, I thought to myself, Romans chapter number eight is bigger than a horse pill. There is no way that I can cover this chapter in one Sunday night. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be doing good just to get through what I'm planning to probably more teach than preach tonight. But uh, with the Lord's help, I'll get through it and we'll get done hopefully about 1130 tonight. But uh, we'll, we'll do our best so that uh, Brother Greg and Miss Janet don't have to tie up the kids in the back and all those types of things. But uh, over the next couple weeks, it may, may end up running into two, three uh, different Sunday nights. And so if you notice in your outline tonight, we are uh, going to attempt to cover the first 17 verses of Romans chapter number eight. And so if you have your Bibles there or the outline, you can follow along with me tonight. In Romans chapter number eight, the Bible says... There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. By the way, that one verse uh, really gives us the pattern for the entire chapter, if you pay attention to that verse. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, 
that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Are you starting to notice a pattern? Okay, I hope you're paying attention. Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, and if so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. And I hope you notice the change that took place from verse 8 to verse number 9. The Bible says in verse number 9, again, ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now if any have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Notice the word again. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ... If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And right there, honestly, you should say to yourself, amen and amen, right? Because folks, as you read into this chapter, and we didn't even get near the end of it, it just gets better and better, or as the old preacher used to say, gooder and gooder is the way this chapter gets. Now, when we get into Romans chapter number 8, this chapter honestly has been by many referred to as the Mount Everest, not of the book of Romans, but as the Mount Everest of the Bible. Uh, This is one of the high watermarks of the Word of God, is this matter of there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. This is an exciting chapter when you start to look into it, and when you begin the chapter, you see what's the first word in the chapter? Therefore, Uh, well, there is therefore is one of the first words that you see. Now, when you see that word, and I've said this before, because if we're going to be students of the word of God, we have to pay attention 
to every word because when you think about it, if it's God's word, every word is important. If it wasn't important, God wouldn't have included it, but God has included this in his word. And so notice again in verse number one, he says, there is therefore. Now that word, I've said it before, means that when you see that word, you should ask yourself this question, why is it there for? Why did God put that there? And again, as we look at it, it is there because of what has already been said. Now, it's hard when you're teaching through an entire book of the Bible to try to, to, try to stay with you. If you ever have watched maybe a, a television show or something, and what it does is it's a continuation. And what they oftentimes do at the beginning of a show is they will go back and show you some clips of things that happened prior to that particular show that's about to come on so that you would kind of pick up and, and it would give you some sort of bearing on where this episode, in case you missed the one before, or maybe it's the first one you ever saw. Well, the same thing in the Word of God is, is that many times when you read, if you're doing your Bible reading and you stopped at the end of chapter 7 in your Bible reading, and then the next day you pick up and start reading in chapter 8, what you might have to do is okay, the word therefore, well, I need to go back and see what was said before chapter 8 began. Everybody with me so far? So it's important for us to keep, we call this keeping the word of God in context. Understanding the full meaning behind what God is saying here in Romans chapter number 8. Now, let me give you a little something that God gave to me years ago as I was going through the book of Romans because when you see verse number one of chapter eight, and you see the word therefore, it, it brought me back to other places in the book of Romans that God used the word therefore. Notice up there on the screen, you see Romans chapter number three and verse number 20. You see the Bible says, therefore by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So when you see that, that therefore, it's talking about that because of our sin, that, that according to the word of God, that it is the therefore of condemnation. We are all sinners and we all deserve to die and spend eternity without the Lord. And the Bible talks about how that we are condemned already. We don't have to do anything to go to hell, just be born, live, and die. But look what it says here when we get to chapter number 8 in verse number 1. Here it says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Something changed. Something happened between Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 and Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1. Because look, you see the therefore of condemnation in Romans chapter number 3, we're all condemned. But when you get to Romans chapter number 8, you see the therefore of no condemnation. Big difference. Well, what was the difference? Go back to chapter 5 and notice what it says. Here's another therefore in the book of Romans. And the Bible says in, in Romans chapter number 5 and verse number 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, between the therefore of condemnation, we are condemned, and between that and the, the, the therefore of no condemnation, Romans chapter number 8, 
What took place was the therefore of justification. You see, we have been justified. The Bible says again in Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing to realize that right between the condemnation and no condemnation is the therefore of justification. <laughs> hey folks, if you're saved tonight, according to the word of God, you have been justified. That's why when you get to Romans chapter number eight and verse number one, that's why you can understand the therefore of Romans 8, 1. The Bible says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Why? Because we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And when we come to Romans 8, 1, it's interesting as God gives these words for Paul to write down that Jesus, in a sense, is asking, then how can we be condemned and I want you to notice, I won't go back and read all these verses, but how can we be condemned when we have already, number one, been justified? Uh, as we just mentioned there in Romans 5.1, God has declared us not guilty. Now, only God can do that. Well, how is that possible? By Jesus Christ, the Son of God, what Jesus did for us. We can't be condemned because we've been justified. Secondly, we can't be condemned because we have been reconciled. Well, how did that happen? It, it, we've been reconciled to God, Romans 5.10, by the death of his son, Jesus. We've been justified. We've been reconciled. Another reason that we cannot be condemned is because we have had our sins imputed to Christ. Remember the word imputed? In, imputation means to place on one's account. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? He bore our sins. Our sins were placed upon him. He took our sins, what we rightfully deserve. He took that. He took our place. But listen to this. Not only did we have our sins imputed to Christ, but we also had his righteousness imputed to us. You see, he took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. So when God looks at us, he sees us just as if we had never been a sinner that the righteousness of God has been placed on our account, not because of anything we have done. So when you look at Romans chapter 8, verse number 1, Jesus asking how in the world can we be condemned, we who have been justified, we who have been reconciled, we who have had our sins imputed to Christ and his righteousness imputed to us, how about Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, we that have been made dead unto sin. The Bible says we are dead to sin because of what Jesus did for us. Notice also, fifthly, how can we be condemned? We who have, have been removed from the accountability that was under the law, and according to the word of God, we have been placed under the grace of God. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? For by grace are you saved, through faith and that not of yourselves. Hey, listen, the, the law, it, it, it was grievous. You know, the Bible says if you've offended one point, you've offended it all. But see, we see that we have been removed from the accountability under the law. And then sixthly, we cannot be condemned because according to Romans 6.22, we have been made free from sin. See, not only have we been made dead unto sin, but we've been made free from sin. So when you come to Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 1, the Bible says again, there is therefore, look at this word, now, 
Notice there is therefore now no condemnation. Now that word now, really the full meaning of that is not only right now, but forever. We have been set free. Those guys just stood here and sang a song that ought to be true in your life. Praise God, I am free, free, free from this world of sin. I mean, you think about your life and mine, because of what Jesus did for us, we are now free. There is therefore now no condemnation. Why? Because the Bible says, look at verse 1, there's no condemnation to them which are, what's those next three words? In Christ Jesus. Are you saved tonight? If you're in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. Isn't that a wonderful thought tonight? The Bible is clear here. There is therefore now no condemnation. Write this down in your, in your outline. I think you have this statement. Our salvation, yours and mine, our salvation does not depend on our success as a Christian. Your salvation does not depend on your success as a Christian. It is based on the legal declaration of the judge of the ages. Your salvation, my salvation is based on the declaration of God. And that is why that, listen, in my life, with all that's going on, with the storms of life, with all that we face, in the midst of those storms, there is a port of safety and hope that is offered to all who will anchor there, and the there is in Christ Jesus. See, we all have that hope. And as we get into Romans chapter number 8, and we're just going to get started tonight, but I want to bring up two thoughts this evening, and there's some things to go along with it. Notice again, number one, he starts with, there is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation. Now, here's what Paul addresses is that we have been made free or we have freedom from decree. Now, as he talks about this matter of freedom, because it all deals with the law and how the law condemns. But when we get saved, we enter into a brand new relationship and that new relationship is even new, a relationship even to the law. Therefore, the law cannot condemn us. We cannot be condemned by the law. So what Paul starts with in Romans chapter number 8 is three statements that he gives us about the believer and the law. In other words, to help us understand that, that there is no condemnation, we have been made free from the decree or free from the law. So notice the three statements because as I give them to you, if you put all three of them together, if you were to add them up, the bottom line, what they would add up to is this, no condemnation. So look at the three statements. The first one that I want you to see that Paul gives in verse number two is that the law cannot claim you. The law cannot claim you. Look at verse number two, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. We've been made free from the law of sin and death. We now have life. Well, how do we have that life? We have life, according to verse number two, in the spirit. The law no longer has jurisdiction over you because we have been made free from the law of sin because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. In other words, <clears throat> what did Jesus do? 
when he died for our sins. As you study the word of God, our sins were addressed, our sins were judged, and our sins were paid for on the cross of Calvary. Every last one of them. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. So when you look at it and you begin chapter number 8 and you see that there is the statement, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, the first statement he begins with is that the law cannot claim you. There's no ground for us to be put back on trial again because, listen, as we started Romans, uh, the book of Romans, that the Bible was clear in chapters 1, 2, and 3 that all are guilty before God, every last one of us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's why it's wonderful when you get to chapter number 8 that he shows us here that there's no ground to put us back on trial or to condemn us because there is now, in Christ Jesus, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Everybody with me so far? So the first statement that he starts with is, the law cannot claim you. Look at the second statement. The second statement in verse number three is that the law cannot condemn you. It not only cannot claim you, but it cannot condemn you. Christ has already suffered that condemnation for us on the cross. Look at Galatians 3.13. Aren't you glad for a Uh, the reality of this verse. It says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. There was a stigma that came with the crucifixion. And the Bible mentions, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. God sent his son Jesus, the son of God, to die for our sins, to save us from our sins, and to do for us, listen to this, what the law could not do. See, the law couldn't save us. Only Jesus saves. See, the law can't condemn us. Laws were never made When you think of laws themselves, laws have never made a person innocent. Laws have never changed what was really in man's heart. What the intent of the law is, was to expose guilt. That's what the law does. Look at Acts 13, 39. The Bible says, By him all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. See, the law could not save us. The law could not justify us. We can only be saved through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you have ever heard of a law called the law of double jeopardy? You ever heard of that one? Even in our legal system today. Now, what the law of double jeopardy, if you're not familiar with it, is it states that a a man or a woman cannot be tried twice for the same crime. That's what the law of double jeopardy is. Now, if you think about this and put on your thinking cap tonight, since Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, is that a true statement? 
Jesus paid for how much of our sins? All of them. Now watch this. Since he paid the penalty for our sins, and according to the Bible, we are now in Christ. Is that correct? So he paid for our sins. We are in Christ. God will not condemn us because we were already condemned. That would be the law of double jeopardy. You see that point tonight? So as we think about this, since Jesus paid for our sins and we are now in Christ, the law cannot condemn us. God will not condemn us. And so the law cannot claim us. The second statement Paul makes is the law cannot condemn us. But look at the third one in verse number four. The law cannot control you. Now, in verse number four, here's what the Bible says. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. See, the believer lives, or we are to live what is called a righteous life. We, 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 we are not to live in the power of the law, but in the power of the Spirit. We are to live our lives. The law does not have the power to produce in us holiness. It can only reveal and it can only condemn us for sin in our lives. But the indwelling of the Spirit of God enables us to walk in obedience to God's will for our lives. Look at Philippians 2.13. It is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So when, when the chapter kicks off and Paul makes this statement, there is therefore now no condemnation. He's talking about how that we have been made free from the decree, free from the law, because the law cannot claim us, the law cannot condemn us, and the law cannot control us. Everybody understand so far? Now, the second thing we'll look at tonight is not only is there no condemnation, a freedom from decree, but notice, secondly, there is no obligation. And this is a freedom from defeat. You know what kind of life God wants you and I to live? By no? A victorious Christian life. But so many Christians live a defeated life. And when you look at this, he's talking, look at verse number 12 tonight. He says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors. But notice he says, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. So when he begins this section here on no obligation, look, there is no obligation in your life or mine to the old nature. Look, we, we can live a victorious life. We're not obligated to the old man, the old life, the old nature. But so many times we make concessions, we slip backwards into our old life. And so what does Paul do here? He, he gives us a description of life, but he gives that description of life on three different levels. And I want you to see those three levels. Notice the first level that he gives of, of how we can live our lives, and I'll use this statement I'll give you a statement for each one because I think it is fairly descriptive. And notice the first statement, the first level of life is this statement, that ye have not the Spirit. You have not the Spirit. Now when Paul makes this statement or he's dealing with this aspect, he is contrasting those that are unsaved and those that are saved. Okay, now keep that in mind those that are unsaved, and those that are saved. You do realize that's the only two categories of people in the world today. 
You're either saved or you're lost. You're either in Christ or you're not. So he's making a contrast, and he covers it four different ways. Look at the first one in verse number five, because he deals with this matter of we are either in the flesh or we are in the spirit. Now, this is something that this is the first time in the book of Romans that Paul's dealt with this matter of, of living in the flesh or living in the spirit. How many of you, when I make that statement, living in the flesh or living in the spirit can relate? I think all of us, from time to time, we struggle. Because even though we're saved, understand that we're still, we still are in this body. But when he gets to this portion of the Romans chapter number 8, he's not talking about saved Christians that are living carnal lives. When he's talking about in the flesh here, he's actually talking about people that are unsaved versus those who are saved. Now look at the contrast as he gets into this because the unsaved person, we're talking about those that are in the flesh or those that are in the spirit, look at verse number 5, here's what he says. For they that are after the flesh, do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. See, you're either going to be after the things of the flesh, or you're going to be after the things of the Spirit. This morning's message. The reason that people are covetous is because they're after the things of the flesh. I mean, that's, it's, it's that plain and simple. So when he says here that we're either in the flesh or in the spirit, the unsaved person, according to the word of God, does not have the spirit of God. When did you receive the spirit of God? At the moment of salvation, right? But see, an unsaved person, do you remember what it was like before you got saved and you didn't have the spirit? Anybody remember those days? I do. I got saved when I was 20 years old. I remember what life was like before I had the Spirit in my life. Paul's saying here that an unsaved person doesn't have the Spirit of God. They are living not only in the flesh, but they are living for the flesh. Everything they do, they're doing it for the flesh. You ever heard this statement in the world, if it feels good, do it? You know, you think about cruise ships. There's a reason that the cruise line is called Carnival. Carnal, carnival. You think about what happens in Louisiana every year. They, 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 have, they have this huge celebration. Think about what the Catholics do before Lent. They gorge on the flesh, they feed the flesh, and then they deny the flesh. It's amazing. We think nothing about this in our world today. But the Bible tells us here, that an unsaved person lives not only in the flesh, but they live for the flesh. Their mind is centered on things that satisfy the flesh. This is the way many live. They, they live with their mind fixed on things that satisfy the flesh. But it's quite different, Paul contrasts, with a Christian. Because a Christian has the Spirit of God living within you. See, instead of doing things that satisfy the flesh, the Christian has his mind fixed on the things of the Spirit. Look at John 3, 6. That which is born of the flesh is what? Is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is what? Spirit. There ought to be a difference. 
The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the natural man, anybody know who the natural man is? The unsaved person. The Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Unsaved people, can, they can't understand. They don't understand why you come to church. They, unsaved people don't understand why we give, why we support missionaries, why we go to church a couple times a week, why, why we pray, why we read our Bibles. They don't understand. Guess what? That's the way I used to be. I didn't understand all that. And he's making a contrast here is that either we are in the flesh or we are in the spirit. But notice the second contrast in verse number six. Look at the Bible says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Aren't you glad for that? So what's the contrast here in verse six? Here it is. He's talking about those that are saved and those that are lost. So the contrast in verse number six is death or life. Death or life. The unsaved person, write it down, is alive physically, but they're dead spiritually. I mean, they're breathing. They're alive on this earth, but spiritually speaking, they're dead. The inner man is dead towards God. It doesn't respond to the things of the Spirit. Look at Romans 6.21. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? He says, for the end of those things is death. Look, you think about your life. Think back before you got saved and, and what you did, what you were involved in, what you gave your time and your resources to. Did any of it, is any of that, does it matter for eternity for Christ? You know, Paul said, those things that were gained, he says, I counted them but loss, but dung. He said, that's what my life was. It was wasted until, until the Spirit of God gave me life. He says, this matter of no condemnation, I have no obligation. I, I've been made free from defeat. Notice the third uh, contrast he makes here in verse number six and seven. The Bible says again, look at verse 6, to be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So this contrast between unsaved and saved, notice letter C, he's talking about we're either at war with God or we have peace with God. I've seen this, I've seen this in many people's lives. Those that have trusted Christ, look, they're enjoying peace with God because we're no longer an enemy of God. That's what we were before we got saved according to the Word of God, but now we are no longer an enemy while the unsaved, according to the Word of God, they're at war with God. Isaiah 48, verse 22, there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. No peace. There's always an unrest. James writes it this way in James 4.4. 4. He says, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whoso, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. You cannot straddle the fence. Paul says, look, this is a contrast. 
you're either at war with God or you're at peace with God. And the fourth contrast that he makes in verse number eight is, look at this in verse number eight, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So the fourth contrast he makes here is, we're either pleasing self or we're pleasing God. Pleasing self or pleasing God. To be in the flesh means that we're lost, we're outside of, uh, of Christ, we're not in the will of God. The unsaved person, what do they do? They, you see it every day. They live to please themselves. They don't live to please God. Their entire life is spent to please themselves. The root of, of sin is selfishness. In other words, instead of, instead of thine will, it's my will. What did Jesus say when he was on this earth? Not my will, but thine be done. See, selfish, unsaved people, it's all about themselves. To be unsaved and not have the Spirit of God is the lowest level of life. By the way, the vast majority of the world today have not the Spirit. That's why we still preach the gospel. That's why we still give to missions. It's because there are many that have not the Spirit. There are many that are still on level one of life, they do not know Christ as their Savior. But you don't have to stay there. If you got, like I, I did many years ago, 35 years ago, I moved from level one to level two. Because when I got saved, notice the second statement, level two of life is you have the Spirit. See, before we had not the Spirit, but when you get saved, according to the Word of God, you now have the Spirit of God. Look what it says in verse number 9. It says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Notice the change from verse 8 to verse 9. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Guy came in this morning and I don't know what was going on with him this morning. There's always something with brother guy, you know, but he came in and he says, he says, pastor, can I get a new body? <laughs> That's what he said to me. And I said, well, I said, I can't really do that, but I, already, I know somebody already has one for you. And he says, can I get it now? And I says, no, because you'll corrupt it if you, if you get it now. I mean, if you're like me, I, I mean, I'm catching up to Brother Guy. You know, this whole body isn't what it used to be. But when I think about what he's saying here, when you move into this second level, look, the evidence that we have been saved, the evidence of conversion is the presence of the Spirit of God that dwells within us. You see, you can't see the Spirit of God that dwells in you. But oftentimes, by their fruits, you shall know them. See, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. It's evident when I get around the people of God. Because there's a Spirit that's there. I love when people come and <clears throat> visit our church. And they say, you know, there's just something about this place. And I tell them oftentimes, it's, it is not the people, it's the spirit of the living God. It's God moving. 
And when he gets to the second level, instead of it saying, you, you have not the Spirit, he says here, you have the Spirit of God. Your body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost. I just, I don't know if you've ever really let that settle in, in your mind and in your heart. You say, Pastor, why would you say that? Because I even see oftentimes what Christians do to their temple. What we see, what we entertain, the places we go, the things we eat, the things we, we consume. The, the little children's song, oh, be careful little eyes, what you see. Be careful little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Anybody remember that song? I didn't sing it when I was a kid. My granddaughter was trying to sing it to me the other day, and I was trying to sing it along with her, and, my, and I, uh, uh, Poppy made a mistake, and I, I, I went to the wrong verse, and I got scolded by my, by my little granddaughter. But you know, I was glad that she was learning that. She's not even saved yet. She's too young. She doesn't understand. She doesn't have the spirit. But the Bible says, train up a child. We who are older, we who are saved, look, we know the word of God. We know that the Bible tells us that our body, the body that you have, what I'm looking at, the shell that God has given to you, it's the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's where God's Spirit lives. Where do you take the Spirit of God every week? What is it that you do to your body or take into your body? I know this hits many of us, but the Bible's clear. If we have the Spirit, our body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost. Look at 2 Corinthians 6.16. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. God's not dead. God's alive. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And the Bible says here that ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Aren't you, you ever thought about this? Are you glad like I am that you're not living in the Old Testament time where God did not dwell in a permanent indwelling presence with his people at that time that you had to go to the priest and then the priest went into the presence of God for you? But nowadays, Everywhere we go. That's why Jesus said when he was on this earth, when he met with his disciples before he, before he went to Calvary, Jesus says, and lo, I am with you. What's that next word? Always. Even unto the end of the world. How could Jesus make that statement? Didn't he die on the cross? Wasn't he buried in the tomb? He rose and he was on this earth for 40, 40 days. He was seen of many witnesses. 
And then he ascended to be with the Father. And he's sitting at the right hand of God today. So how is it that he can keep that promise that he is with us always? Because he says, I'm going away, but I'm going to send someone just like me who shall dwell in you, who will guide you into all truth. Everybody with me tonight? It's important that we see this, that even though, listen, all of us understand, Brother Guy understands this, I understand this as I get older, all of us understand that the body is destined to die because of sin. But the Spirit, here's the, here's the good part, the Spirit gives the body life. Why does the Spirit give this body, this mortal body life, so that we can serve God? God saved us, did he not? Why did God leave us here? God left you here to serve him. Well, how do we do that? In the spirit and not in the flesh. Because the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is, what's that word? There's liberty. You know what liberty is? It's freedom. Now, God's not saying, I've saved you and given you my spirit so that you can desecrate the temple of God. That's not the kind of liberty God's talking about. We have liberty in Jesus. You see, understand, we're a child of the king. We represent God in this world. We are a walking billboard for everyone that does not know Christ, those that are living in the flesh. When we desecrate, when we don't care about the temple of God, then those that are not saved are going to say, well, listen, he says he's a Christian. Look what he's doing. Then why should I care? That's exactly why we need to make sure that we understand that we are not obligated to the old nature. Look at Galatians 5.13. Brethren, we have not been called unto liberty. Only uh, We have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion the flesh. I'm just going to say this tonight. Get upset if you want. Social drinking is not biblical. Drinking alcoholic beverages is against the word of God. It's against the principles of God. And honestly, you could take it up with God. Because no Christian ought to have ever put an alcoholic beverage to their lips because that beverage then goes into the temple of God. Now, I can say there's many things, but understand tonight, when you look at this, the Bible says we have been given liberty, but we are not to use liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Not at all. He says, as, as you read on here, he says, for by love, serve one another. That's why he's given us liberty. I love what D.L. Moody said. He described his conversion. Listen to what he said. I was in a new world. The next morning, the sun shone brighter. The birds sang sweeter. The old elm trees waved their branches for joy, and all nature was at peace. That's quite, a, quite an interesting look at his new life in Christ. I just know this. When God saved me, it just seemed like my steps were lighter. It just seemed like... Everything was fresh and new. The Bible does say old things are passed away. How many things become new? All things. 
See, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I've mentioned it time and time again, the life that I used to live. Listen, I am not proud of it. I'm ashamed of the life I used to live. That's why I'm not about to go back into that old life. Why? Because I have no obligation to the flesh. I have no obligation to the old nature. Understand, there is not, therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So when you think about Paul describing these levels of life, the first level is he says that you have not the Spirit of God because he's talking about unsaved people and he makes a contrast there. Then he says there's a second level of life and that is those who now have the Spirit that were unsaved but now they have the Spirit of God because they have been saved by the grace of God. But then notice the third level of life that he talks about and that is this, not only do you have the Spirit, but watch this, here's the best part, the Spirit has you. Now, how much of the Holy Spirit did you get when you got saved? You got all the Spirit. There are people for years that have taught what they call a second blessing. Show me that in the Bible. You get all of the Spirit of God. The problem is, for the Christian, is the Spirit doesn't get all of us. So when you got saved, you received all of the Spirit of God. And he moves into this third level here. See, it's not enough for us to have the Spirit, but what's more important is that the Spirit has us. That the Spirit has... Remember the verse, I shared it again this morning. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit of God. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. See, only then when we're being filled by the Spirit, when the Spirit has us, can the Spirit of God share with us the abundant Christian life. We can have victory. We are under no obligation to the flesh. You know what the flesh has done for you? It's only brought trouble into your life. Think about it. Everything in life, everything that man touches, he ruins. The Bible says in the creation account, everything that God created, the Bible says this, and it was good. And it was good. And it was good. I love that statement. Then man comes along and it was bad. And it was bad. Because all have sinned. And so again, we are not under the obligation to the flesh. But we are under an obligation to the Spirit of God. Every one of us are obligated to the Spirit. Why? Because it was the Spirit of God that convicted you of your sin. It was the Spirit of God that revealed Christ to you. It was the Spirit of God that has imparted eternal life to us when we trusted Christ as our Savior. Hey, I would say that you and I are obligated to the Spirit. We're not obligated to the flesh, but we are obligated to the Spirit. Notice a couple things about the Spirit. Look at verse number 11, what the Bible says. But the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Notice the first thing that he shows us here is that the Holy Spirit of God is the spirit of life. We have been quickened. We've been made alive. How is that possible? By the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit is the one who empowers us to obey Christ. In other words, to be just like Jesus. The, look, Jesus said himself that the Holy Spirit that he will teach us about Jesus. You see, that is God's desire for our lives. If we are going to be a Christian, may we not be Christian in name only. 
May we live the Christian life. Understand how important it is to know the spirit of life that, that, that Ezekiel, look at what he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. So again, what's Ezekiel, even in the Old Testament, he's talking about how the Spirit of God will empower us to obey the very commands of the Word of God. So we see that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of life, but notice also in verse number 13 that He is also the Spirit of death. Look at verse number 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die, but if ye, live, if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Notice again the words there, through the Spirit, do mortify or put to death. See, he, the Holy Spirit of God can enable us to put to death, to mortify the sinful deeds of the body. Colossians 3, 5, look at, here's what it says. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So he tells us those things that would creep into our lives as saved people. And he says, look, you need to put those to death. Well, look, you and I can't do that. I remember, I won't tell you what it was, but there was something in my life before I got saved. And I just remember that I've for, I, I wanted so badly, I wanted to rid myself of this. And I remember asking, I remember wanting to get rid of this in my life, and I tried three times. And as an unsaved person who really didn't know God, I just remember crying out to God and said, God, I've tried three times, I cannot do this, would you please take this away from me? And God did. God took it from my life. And when I think about what he is saying here, look, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. There's things in our life that need to be put to death. And listen, the only way that's going to happen is by the spirit of death. The Holy Spirit puts to death the things of the flesh. And then, and then by putting those things, the replacement is he reproduces in our lives the things of the spirit. Look, look at verse number six again. Look what it says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So look, we, we need to understand, when the Spirit has us, that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of life, He is the Spirit of death, but then notice thirdly in verse 15, He is also the Spirit of adoption. That song that you sang with Brother Kenny. I don't know if you really understand, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Some of you in here might have been adopted as a child, maybe, maybe not even as a child, maybe as a teenager. But you think about this, this is actually a biblical principle. And the Bible mentions it here in, in this chapter, Romans chapter number 8, as the spirit of adoption. Look at verse number 15. Here's what it says. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear... But you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. 
The word adoption, look at it, it literally means to be placed into the family as an adult son. That's what it means. The very word means to be placed as an adult son. And when you think about our new life in Christ, here's the best part is that when we come into the family of God, we come into the family of God by birth. And as we think about coming into the family of God, the moment that we are born or born again into the family of God, God adopts us and he gives us the position of an adult son. Look at Galatians chapter 4, look at verse 5 and 6. To redeem them which were, notice that word, were, under what? The law. Now watch this. That, he redeemed us, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Beautiful words. I mean, when you think about, look, when you think about a child, a baby, for instance, a baby cannot walk, babies cannot speak, babies cannot make decisions, they cannot draw from the family's wealth, they can't go down to the bank or, or, or whatever. I mean, you know the story of the prodigal son. He was a grown man that took his, his well, what, what he thought was his portion of his father's inheritance or his father's uh, you know, uh, estate, and he took it and wasted it. He was a grown man, but listen, babies cannot do that. But when we get saved, according to the word of God here, as you deal with the spirit of adoption, the believer can do all these things. We can walk and we can speak and we can make decisions and we can actually draw from the family's wealth at the moment that we are born again into the family of God. See, this matter of adoption is much bigger than most of us realize. Even if you look at it from a legal standpoint, when you, when you looked at a, a Roman legal ceremony concerning adoption, look at these four things that I want you to see. The first one is that when somebody was adopted, legally adopted, all their past debts were canceled. I'm going to tell you right there, that's enough to rejoice over. I mean, you think about this, when you got adopted into the family, all the debts that you had, everything that was piled up, every last bit of it was canceled. The second thing that happened legally in adoption is that all the former rights in the old family were lost. Here's the best part. All rights in the new family were immediately granted. See, you have a new family now. See, it's a wonderful thing, the transition that takes place. Here's the third thing that happened. The law actually recognized the adopted son. Listen to this. This is still true today. They recognized the adopted son as a blood son. Just like they were born into the family, physically. And then look at the fourth thing that happened is that an adopted son could not be disinherited. No matter what. But they actually became a joint heir with the other blood children. Look again at verse number 17. If children, then heirs, look at these words, heirs of God. You know what that means? What is God's is now yours. Now look at the next phrase. And joint heirs with who? 
Yeah, with, with Christ Jesus, right? If so, uh, b- that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. So when you, when you look at all this and you think about this, this level of life that the Spirit now has us, what Spirit? The Spirit of life. The Spirit that gives us, the, that has power to mortify the deeds of the flesh and the Spirit of adoption that we've now been placed into the family of God. Look at this statement. The Spirit of life will empower the believer to overcome the old nature. The Spirit gives us the power to overcome the old nature, the old life. Secondly, the Spirit of death will enable the believer to overcome the flesh, to mortify those deeds of the members of the body. And then look at the third statement. The Spirit of adoption will enrich the believer and lead that person into the will of God. I love Romans chapter number 8. And again, we're barely scratching the surface, but as I look at this, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. There is no obligation to the law. Why? Because of what Jesus did for us. So that's why I titled the message tonight, Praise God I Am What? Free. Free, free from this world of sin. Why? Because of what God did for us through His Son. See, that's why we can boldly say that we, because of what God has done, we have the right standing with God. There's no condemnation. There's no obligation. And can I tell you that the rest is to be continued. Let's bow our heads tonight. Lord, thank you again for the truth that we see in Romans chapter number 8. There was a lot that we looked at. I pray that, God, that that, uh, there was some clarity tonight when it comes to understanding how important it is, the life that we live. God, you you have set us free. You've given us liberty not to live the life that we want to live in the flesh. But, Lord, may we live our lives in the Spirit of God. We who not only have the Spirit, but we who the Spirit has. God, may we live our lives in such a way that is pleasing to you. And Lord, when we, when we are not pleasing you, I pray by your Spirit that you would, you would put your finger on, that you would identify in our lives, and that you would give us the power to, to mortify whatever it is that is not pleasing in your sight. Thank you again for the hope that we have that there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Thank you again for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.